are you a I must have my eight hours a night kind of person? Or are you a I only need four or five hours, I've got to get stuff done, you can sleep when you're dead kind of person? Well, if you're the latter, that final comment could be truer than you might think. Hello, and welcome to Sharp, the podcast where we help you get a little better at the stuff you have to do, so you can spend more time doing the stuff you want to do. So now, on with the episode. Hello and welcome to episode 22. Well, in this episode, we're having a look at sleep. Now, it's one thing that we've all got in common, but how important is it? This week, we're going to look at three things. What happens if you don't get enough sleep? What happens when you do get sleep? And some practical steps that you can take to getting the benefit of this thing that we all need. But first, we've asked Steve out in the field to go and do a bit of research on the subject, and clearly, he hasn't bothered. Hi Steve, well I've come to my local branch of mattresses, beds and pillows just to see the huge range of mattresses, beds and pillows that you can buy these days to get the most from your nighttime activities, which for many of you will mean sleeping. But it's a little known fact that sleeping was actually invented in the UK in 1916. After pressure from farmers unions, whose members were struggling to milk cows, harvest crops and shear their sheep in the dark, the British government commissioned a think tank to come up with a solution. They formed the National Organisation for the Development of Overnight Farmers Funding, or the NODOFF, who started a series of working parties, experiments and focus groups, and they eventually came up with the invention of sleep. Many people have since forgotten the difficult times before 1916 when all we had to occupy ourselves through long winter nights was alcohol, singing, or if you were really desperate, talking to your spouse. And sadly for them, the Netflix box set was years away from being invented. Seems a bit strange to invent them that way round really, doesn't it? I don't know why they didn't think about that at the time. Anyway, back to you Steve in the studio. Excuse me, could you tell me if you sell pyjamas? Well, I'm not entirely sure if any of that was accurate. Here are some facts which are hopefully more reliable. Most of us have pulled an all-nighter and some go three or four days with limited sleep. But are we doing ourselves any favours? There's an interesting video produced by the TED team on the subject. I'll put the link to the full video in the show notes, but here's a snip. In the United States, it's estimated that 30% of adults and 66% of adolescents are regularly sleep-deprived. This isn't just a minor inconvenience. Staying awake can cause serious bodily harm. When we lose sleep, learning, memory, mood, and reaction time are affected. Sleeplessness may also cause inflammation, hallucinations, high blood pressure, and it's even been linked to diabetes and obesity. In 2014, a devoted soccer fan died after staying awake for 48 hours to watch the World Cup. While his untimely death was due to a stroke, studies show that chronically sleeping fewer than six hours a night increases stroke risk by four and a half times compared to those getting a consistent seven to eight hours of shut-eye. So some serious implications of not getting enough sleep. According to sleepjunkies.com, Margaret Thatcher, the former Prime Minister of the UK, famously remarked in an interview that she only needed around four hours sleep a day to function properly. 
The article explains that recently, scientists have discovered a gene which may explain why some people can get by with a fraction of the amount of sleep that most of us need. However, this is thought to apply to only around 2-3% of the population. The rest of us need on average between 7-8 to eight hours of sleep each night to stay fit, healthy and alert during the day. The article goes on to say that the consequences of not getting enough sleep can be very serious indeed. Sleep deprivation can cause numerative negative... Numerative? Is that a word? Sleep deprivation can cause numerous negative side effects including heart disease, depression, weight gain, to name a few. National Geographic did an experiment to show how difficult basic tasks were even after 18 hours of no sleep. Now that might sound excessive, but remember, 18 hours is only the equivalent of waking up at 5am and going to sleep at 11pm. After 18 hours, the average person starts to enter a sleep-deprived state. Which means it's a good time to test alertness. Hold the egg by the string pinched between your two fingers. This is our take on a classic sleep test. If you begin to doze off, you may drop the egg. Now, holding an egg on a string for 60 seconds may seem like an easy task, but not when you've gone 18 plus hours without sleep. After going without sleep for an excessive amount of time, your brain starts shutting down areas it considers non-vital to your survival. In this case, John's brain told the muscles in his arm and hand to relax, causing him to drop the egg. And even though John may think he's wide awake, certain parts of his body are shutting off. Well, dropping an egg in a studio isn't going to cause anyone other than the cleaner an issue. But what if you're driving a car after 18 hours awake? If parts of your body are really shutting down, then that's suddenly not funny. According to the Think campaign from the UK government, almost 20% of accidents on major roads are sleep-related, and sleep-related accidents are more likely than others to result in a fatality or a serious injury. In the US in 2016, Forbes claimed that the year before, 5,000 people died due to drowsy driving. And things aren't just problematic if we're going for long periods of no sleep. According to The Telegraph, our poor sleep is damaging our health. They explain about a study that suggests that a mere half an hour of sleep debt requiring a lie-in at the weekend to catch up can increase insulin resistance, raising the risk of diabetes and obesity, and that quality sleep is essential for good mental health. In their article, Dr Christie says sleep problems are massively implicated in causing mental health problems and exacerbating any current problems. OK, so that's the downside to not getting sufficient sleep. What's the upside? What happens when we do get sleep? Before that, let's check in with Steve in the field to see if he's got an interesting sleep-related fact. Do we have to check in with Steve in the field? OK. Hi, Steve. Well, I'm here at the British Museum, just about to settle down in my sleeping bag at one of their overnight sleepover events. Now, not many people know that before writing such books as Robinson Crusoe, Mole Flanders and the Harry Potter series, author Daniel Defoe came up with the original design in 1695 for what we now call the sleeping bag. Back in the late 17th century, rich and poor alike would rest wearily each afternoon on a bale of hay or servants whilst reflecting on the day's affairs. 
Defoe was convinced that this could be done more comfortably. So, inspired by watching a butterfly emerge from a chrysalis, he worked on a human-sized version, which he called the Papillon Sack. It's not clear why he gave up on the idea. One suggestion was that he became increasingly frustrated with finding a way to keep his beautifully coloured and intricately designed wings strapped to his chest. Wings which he eventually lost in the Great Storm of 1703. Close friend Robert Harley said that the wings weren't the problem, but that it was the combination of an eight-foot leather proboscis and a poor gag reflex which led to Defoe giving up on his life's dream and settling for the consolation prize of writing Robinson Crusoe. Any trip to your local camping store today shows the huge variety on offer of different kinds of sleeping bag and serves as a reminder as to how Defoe so narrowly missed out on being the household name that he could have been. What a shame. Back to you in the studio, Steve. Yeah, I'm still not entirely sure about your research there, Steve, in the field. So we've looked at the downside to not getting enough sleep. Well, what happens when we do? What's actually going on? Why should we sleep? And you might be thinking, well, what's this all got to do with being better, Steve? This is a self-development podcast, not a biology podcast. Well, I'll tell you, according to sleep.org, there are five definite benefits from getting enough sleep. Number one, you're better able to focus and learn. It says that when you've had a good night's sleep, it's easier to keep your attention focused on something long enough if you need to learn or remember it. And you're also likelier to have less problems with your memory, meaning you're less likely to blank on your neighbour's name or where you put your keys. Number two, you feel happier. So when you're sleep deprived, your emotions are harder to control, you feel stressed and you find it harder to cope with upsetting and difficult things. So the more sleep you get, the less cranky that you're going to feel. Number three, you're more productive. So at work, you'll notice that you get through tasks faster and make fewer mistakes. Number four, you're less hungry. This is quite interesting. Apparently sleeping helps to regulate two important hormones, Ghrelin, oh, I really don't know if I've pronounced that correctly, G-H-R-E-L-I-N, let's call it ghrelin, which makes you feel hungry, and leptin, that's easier to say, which makes you feel full. And apparently if you don't get enough sleep, those hormones don't act correctly and you feel hungrier. And this is one of the reasons why people who are sleep deprived are likelier to struggle with their weight. And number five, you won't get sick so often. Your immune system needs sleep to stay strong and fight off colds and other infections. And in the long term, getting lots of sleep helps reduce your risk of heart disease, high blood pressure, diabetes and other serious issues. So some of that might seem like common sense, but why does it happen? What is actually going on when you're asleep? What's the science? Well, sleep happens in cycles of about 90 to 110 minutes. The first stage is a light sleep, you're half asleep, half awake, your muscles are starting to relax a bit, you get a little bit of twitching. The second stage of non-REM sleep is true sleep, so within about 10 minutes you get into that second stage, which lasts about 20 minutes apparently, you're breathing and your heart rate starts to slow down. Then into stage three, so that's the deep sleep, so in stage three your brain starts producing delta waves, which is a large and slow wave. Your breathing and your heart rate at this point are at their lowest levels. So finally, stage four, where you get into a more rhythmic breathing, your muscles are limited. If you get woken up during that stage four of deep sleep, you find it really hard to adjust and 
you can feel groggy and disorientated for quite a few minutes. This is where some children can experience bedwetting or night terrors or sleepwalking. So after the four stages of non-REM sleep, then you're into REM sleep. And you apparently have about three to five of these REM episodes a night. We're not conscious, but our brain is really active. And actually, it's often more active than when we're awake. This is when dreams occur. Our eyes move around, hence the name, rapid eye movement. Our breathing rate and our blood pressure rise, but our bodies are effectively paralysed. And that's apparently nature's way of preventing us from acting out our dreams which in my case is probably a good idea. And then after REM sleep, the whole cycle begins again. Now in 2013, there was some research that showed that also when you're asleep, your brain was actually being washed. Not in the drink the Kool-Aid kind of way, but literally washed. In a study set out in mice, the reason that sleep is restorative Maybe, I'm going to read this, a consequence of the enhanced removal of potentially neurotoxic waste products that accumulate in the awake central nervous system. Now, more recently, this has been linked to preventing Alzheimer's, and if it's true, it could confirm how getting enough sleep can have a physical effect on you not just tomorrow, but for years to come. If you want to read about the science behind the research, I'll put the link, as always, in the show notes. So, now you know what happens if you don't get enough sleep, what happens when you do, in the final section, we're going to share some practical solutions on how to get more sleep, given everything that life chucks at us these days. How do we get the Sandman to visit us earlier? Steve in the field, any ideas? I bet he has. And I bet they're rubbish. Funnily enough, Steve, the character known as the Sandman has strong links with the subject of sleep. I've come to PC World to find out more, where the manager has kindly allowed me to use their computers to look it up on Wikipedia. It says here, traditionally the Sandman is a character in many children's stories and books. In Scandinavian folklore, he is said to sprinkle sand or dust on or into the eyes of the child at night to bring on dreams and sleep. Open brackets, number one, close brackets. The grit or sleep in one's eyes upon waking is supposed to be the result of the Sandman's work the previous night. It goes on to say that in his later career, the Sandman learned to play the drums, moved to California and in 1981, posted a newspaper ad asking if anyone wanted to join his band. Sadly, no one replied. And so the Sandman gave up on his dreams of starting a band, changed his name to Dave, and was last seen in the late 90s, drunk, in a bar, claiming that he invented heavy metal music. A sad end to that once popular Scandinavian character. Back to you, Steve. Excuse me, do you sell those video cassettes? You know the ones where you can put a small one from your camcorder into the large right are we really going to accept this stuff from him i think if anyone needs some more sleep it's him right where were we so now we know why we should get more sleep and if we want to do it that's great in theory but with busy always connected lives with work to think about families to manage and so on how do we actually achieve it well the answers are out there here are seven things that you can do routine 
So like small children, if you have an established routine, you're likely to behave in a particular way. What we're talking about here is a wind-down routine, coming off the devices at a certain time, doing an end-of-day journal, if possible having a warm bath, or reading something that's not taxing, and establishing a definite time for this wind-down, making it as important as actually closing your eyes. Mindfulness, yoga or relaxation techniques. These can help you avoid the buzzy mind which can stop you from relaxing and winding down. And even a period of mindfulness meditation practiced earlier on in the day can create that calm and balanced frame of mind that can be helpful when it's time for sleep. Caffeine curfew. Did you know that caffeine has a half-life of six hours? So if you have a two-shot latte, for example, at two o'clock, that's the equivalent of having a shot of espresso at eight o'clock, which is something that most of us would see would stop us from sleeping. I've managed to put a curfew in place myself, so I stopped drinking coffee after one o'clock. And I have to say, from personal experience, it's amazing really how much difference it's made. Invest in good quality sleeping stuff. So don't worry, this podcast isn't sponsored by that warehouse that uh, Steve in the field was in. It's not sponsored by anybody. If you want to sponsor the podcast, I'd be more than happy for you to do so. Um, But in terms of beds and mattresses, you spend a third of your life in bed. So if you think about it, if you were going to spend, I don't know, £20,000 on a car, which you might spend an hour a day in, then spending one-tenth of that on a good mattress probably doesn't sound like a bad idea. And if that mattress lasts you for eight years, at £2,000, it's 68p a night. Exercise. So apparently late in the afternoon is the best time. Try to avoid exercise directly before sleeping, but having a regular exercise routine will help you to sleep better. Ditch the devices. Now not only will the buzzers and beepers keep you up, but even the idea that they might go off can play on your mind. And recent studies have shown that the blue light that they give off can trick your brain into thinking that it's still daytime and therefore not yet time to go to sleep. So, set yourself a time to stop scrolling, and if you have to use your phone, try downloading one of the Easy Eye late night apps. These things can take the blue out of the screen, which reduces the impact. Finally, there are plenty of apps to help you manage all these activities and routines. We've covered loads of them in the past episodes, so if you want to find an app to support you, there's plenty of apps on both iPhone and Android that tell you when it's time to go to bed, You can use them in conjunction with Fitbit devices and those kinds of things to actually track how much sleep you've had. There's loads to look at. If you want to find an app to support you in changing habits, feel free to go back and have a listen to our series on habits. The episodes are in the archives. So those are just some ideas from my research, but they are ideas that I found actually work for me. If you put them into practice, you might find that you'll get better results. There's lots of other things you can do, and hopefully this episode has got you thinking. I also hope it's the only episode that will actually send you to sleep. So plenty of solutions there. All the links, resource and articles I've used in this episode will be in the show notes right there on your device. Hopefully you'll find them helpful and useful and hopefully you'll find this whole podcast helpful and useful. I hope you do and if you agree and you'd like to show your support, there are several ways you can do it. If you want to invest in any of the books or other resource that we talk about, We've got a resource page on the website. The tab is called Get Stuff, and if you click on any of the links and buy anything, it won't cost you any more, but it gives us a few pence towards the gear and my time to help us make this podcast what it is. 
Alternatively, you can share the podcast on Twitter, Facebook or Instagram. We are at Sharp Podcast, one word, two Ps. Or you could even show someone how to subscribe on their phone or their device. You could go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating or a great review, which would be fab. And finally, on the website, sharppodcast.com, you can leave feedback, subscribe, or go and listen to the archive episodes. I'm off. I hope you're able to find one thing before our next episode that you can do, which will help you get better. And remember, don't waste time comparing yourself to anyone else. The only person you should try to be any better than is the person that you were yesterday. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.